Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to avoid it. Um, it's right there on the screen. Today we're going to be rethinking death. Um, and uh, for those of you who are kind of just jumping into this, um, what we're doing and how we kind of got here is we're just studying a book of the Bible because we love God's Word and we want to be immersed in it. We want it to fill our hearts that we believe if, if God speaks and faithful people have written it down that we should, we should be in this and this should inform our life and give us life. And so we just decided all of this year, let's just go through one of those books. Um, and so we're at this point now where we're in chapter 15 of a book called 1 Corinthians. And uh, this is a, a pastor writing to a church that, that he helped start kind of in an urban setting. Um, it was a young church. It was planted in a pluralistic culture. It was, um, you know, there, because it was urban, there were probably some educated people there, um, very much like our city today. And uh, uh, just like some young churches, and probably including our own, because we're a very young church with some young people, it was just full of craziness, we'll say, <laughs> right? There, there are sinners in this church. There's no hiding that, right? There's a dude sleeping with his mother-in-law. There's people getting drunk off communion wine. Like, it's crazy. Um, and so a pastor is writing to this church because he loves the church and he, uh, he loves these people to remind them about who they are in Christ. And, and they, they, this, this exchange in letter form has been going back for a few letters. And, and so this is his response to a bunch of their questions. And they're asking questions about a whole bunch of different topics. And, uh, and so we kind of hit stuff like marriage and sex and uh, communion. What's that? And baptism, what's that? And... Uh, how should we think about giving and what should we think about the Sunday gathering and all of these questions just started coming up. And so this pastor who loves his people is, is um, kind of returning their call and answering their questions, right? Because they don't have phones back then. So to write it down and send it off in the snail mail. Um, and even back then it was worse too because you couldn't just get letters like all the way across the world, right? It's some dude probably on a horse carrying it by boat and then the boat's going somewhere. It's just, it's crazy, right? And, uh, and so this is how they communicate, and this is how this, this pastor is communicating with this church, um, which actually, thank God for that, that we get to, we get to see this, we get to, um, that faithful uh, men and women of God have continued to preserve this for us, and, uh, and it's just awesome that we can have this. And so um, today we find ourselves answering questions about the resurrection and death. And what does this all mean, right? And the church's questions if this is true, what does it mean about this topic? And if that's true, what does it mean about so-and-so? And so today we find ourselves um, still tackling. We have been for the last couple of weeks. Basically all of chapter 15 is the story of Jesus and, and the resurrection comes up. 
and that just poses all sorts of questions and issues and problems. And as it does today, right? It's not much has changed. We, the church still stands, billions of people around the world worshiping a guy that we say rose from the dead, right? And so there's going to be questions and problems around that. And so this is, this is Paul's answer to all those questions. Um, and we're actually almost done this book too. Isn't that exciting? We get to go on to another book next year. And we'll just keep doing it until we die. Just keep going through books of the Bible and seeing what God is saying. Isn't it fun? <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> uh, the fun part is that God is at work, and, and uh, that's what we look forward to. Um, so uh, it, was my, it was my daughter's uh, birthday party yesterday, which was just super fun, right? And she's, she just turned one, one year old, and it was super cute. And the, the grandparents came all the way from Ottawa, and they brought her a bunch of gifts. And like, she, was just, she was just elated, right? She was just so excited, like, ah! And, she, and, and Missy brought the two girls. And she loves kids that are just a little bit older than her because they're so exciting, and they move so fast. And, like, she's just beside herself, right? And, and just laughing. And she learned how to clap when we were in Montreal on vacation this past week. So she was clapping, right? Something exciting would happen. And that, that would make all the adults clap because we're like, yeah, yeah, it is so exciting. Um, it was just such a joy. And so uh, part of the fun, the fun part, we weren't sure how it was going to go, right? Can she, can she open gifts? Like, does she get it? Like, what's, what's going on? And, you know, it's, they're wrapped in paper or they're, they're stuffed in a bag with, with paper on top, right? So it's like, does she get that there's stuff, something inside of that, that the gift isn't just this box of paper, like, and a ribbon on it? <laughs> and so, like, she, the first, we started with the bag gift, right? Because um, they're kind of easier. You, know, you just pull the tissue paper out. So she's doing it. She grabs, she's sitting on the floor, right? And <laughs> she does this weird grunt, like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> she's just so excited. <laughs> So super, super cute. Um, and so she, this is actually from her, from her cousin Isaac and Auntie Elaine. And, uh, and so she rips out the tissue paper, right? And she's like, oh, the tissue paper. <laughs> right? It's all squishing and crunching it. It's so much fun. And, uh, and she doesn't know that there's, there's actu- the actual gift is inside, right? The actual, like, thing that is supposed to bring her joy and all this, the thing that they spent time picking out and, he told me the story about how he picked it out and how he just knows the personality of the family and, 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 and so that Blake will kind of have a similar personality. If, she, if she's, this is what he said, if she's anything like us, she'll, like, this is the gift for her because, you know, it, it moves and she'll want to see things visually and all this. And it's just very thoughtful, right? So, um, and she, but she doesn't know it's there. Um, and, uh, and she's content playing with the wrapping paper until the adults are like, oh, come on, keep going, right? There's, a, there's the gift is inside, you know, dump it out or come on, go look inside, there's more, and point it out and make it really obvious. Um, and we're kind of that way about death. We're just content playing with the wrapping paper. We don't fully dive into it. We don't fully unwrap. Death isn't a gift, but we don't fully unpack death. We avoid it. We're content with the little that we do know about it. We're content with surface-level thinking about death. And God wants more for us as a church, and there is more. There is more for us to understand. Um, and so let's, let's have that kind of just set the tone. Um, and, uh, and it's okay. Like, we kind of think, I guess, as a culture, because death is such a, like, oh, you know, you don't want to be the Debbie Downer. You don't want to be, so, so why ask questions about it? Or why bring it up at a family event? Or why, why talk about it? Or why face the deep reality? Because just the pain of, of losing someone or, 
or whatever the circumstance is, it, that's hard enough. And so let's not bring it all right. Let's not take that fully out of the bag because that'll just be too much, right? That happens. And <clears throat> today we have to unpack it. And it's okay to unpack it sometimes. And hopefully we're at church and we're building a culture where we can unpack it in a safe place. And you have people that you've met and are starting to build relationships with that can minister to you in that, in that deep place, maybe a dark place for you. Um, and it's okay. It's okay um, to do that. And so we're going to do it this morning as a church, uh, just like the Corinthians did. All right. Um, before we dive fully into the passage, I just want to um, kind of set, set the tone for like the past few weeks have all been focused on the resurrection, right? So this is what we believe as Christians, that Jesus, God, became a man, Jesus Christ, walked the earth, lived a perfect life without sin um, to, to show us who God the Father really is, and, and we murdered him, right? And so Jesus died, and he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again three days later, defeating Satan, sin, and death to give us new life. That's what we believe. Um, and so the resurrection, Paul says, uh, is the kind of the crux of it all, right? Like it doesn't really matter if Jesus went to the cross if he didn't raise from the dead, right? And we've, we've been going through this as a church. And so I just want to, just in case um, uh, there just wasn't enough around that, or if you're new coming into this, I just want to put, um, put some more, give you some more handles to like tackle the resurrection because it's going to impact everything about how we think about death, okay? Um, so first, this is, this is just, some, just some heady stuff about how we understand the resurrection as a historical fact, not just a sensationalist myth, okay? This is the resurrection as a historical fact. So number one, Jesus really lived, okay? He wasn't just some mythical person, okay? How do we know this? Well, people who aren't Christians recorded his life. They just recorded it. People who have no vested interest in uh, the future of their movement, let's say, uh, know that this is a real person, okay? So immediately we just know that Jewish historians, Roman historians, and also Christians claim that Jesus was, Jesus was a real person who really lived in flesh and bone. This is a real event in history, okay? That's number one. Number two, Jesus really died, okay? This isn't just something Christians made up to support their movement. He really died, okay? Uh, this is how we know. We, he, went to the, he went to the cross. Before the cross, he was brutally uh, whipped and, and beaten, and Daniel put us on the screen kind of that depiction from uh, The Passion of the Christ, that movie, which is a, probably a fairly accurate representation of the brutal brutality that was uh, put onto Jesus for, um, for what they were accusing him of. And so they, they whipped him, they beat him within an inch of his life already, and then they took him and they put him on a cross and in front of a crowd of people, okay, this is, this is eyewitness accounts, in front of a crowd of people, a, a professional Roman executioner whose job it was is to declare whether people are dead or alive, said this man is dead, and to ensure that fact, took a spear, jabbed it into his rib cage, piercing his heart sack and flooding out with with blood all over the place and said, yes, this man is really dead. Okay, so Jesus really died. <clears throat> On top of that, they 
buried him in a tomb wrapped in probably over 100 pounds of linens that were treated to, to uh, mummify and preserve a body, right? And so they would, they would prepare these garments and wrap dead bodies in it, okay? And so, if th- so that happened to him, and if you are still alive in that state, you know, you probably aren't after sitting in that for three days. Um, and it's probably really hard to get out uh, if you've been lashed and whipped in the way that he was. Um, he was placed in a tomb with a giant stone rolled in front of the entrance. <clears throat> so there's no medical help coming for him. All of this pointing to just a historical, incontrovertible fact that Jesus really died. Okay? Let's keep going. Uh, Jesus told this about his own future, that if you don't believe him, just wait and see what was going to come. Okay, just wait and see. And he told about it beforehand. We have, number four, eyewitness testimony. Okay, so for all of us who doubt the resurrection, people have gone before us who also doubted. One of his own disciples, we call him Doubting Thomas, right, who spent three years with Jesus and said, even when Jesus was standing right in front of him, after seeing him dead, he sees him alive right in front of him. He says, I won't believe it until I touch your wounds. And he goes before us in our place, all of us doubters, and confirms it for us. So people who doubt did that and helped prove that for us. Also, he appeared for uh, 40 days to crowds of even up to and including 500 people at a time, okay? Some people will say, well, if the resurrection happened, it's probably because they were on the really good stuff and they just hallucinated it, okay? And that's just not how hallucinations happen, okay? Uh, a hallucination for anybody who's had one, okay? And you're here, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're that kind of church where Jesus really does save sinners and you are now here. Uh, for anybody who's had one, you know it's a very personal and private experience, right? You don't share hallucinations with other people, right? You enjoy it to yourself and it doesn't matter who's around you also enjoying the same good product you are, uh, they're seeing something else. They just are. like. You don't share hallucinations, especially not in crowds of 500 people at a time, okay? Let's move on. Oh, and the the other cool thing about 500 people at a time is uh, when Paul says that, it's almost like he's saying, look, he, he does say, and some of whom are still alive, right? It's almost like he's saying, just go ask those people. Just go talk to the people who, who were there and who saw Jesus. And, um, and so there you go. Next, he also ate with people in these 40 days, okay? Something with the resurrection is sometimes we say, oh, well, maybe he just was like, a, was like an ethereal spirit who rose and he had an actual body that ate actual food. And so it wasn't just this, this spirit that was raised. It was a physical body that was raised. <clears throat> um, where am I at here? Aha, eyewitness testimony. Oh, this is a good one. Okay, ready? His own mother and his own brothers, after seeing him raised from the dead, worship him as God. Okay, this is super compelling to me. My mother knew how much of a sinner I was. Like, she just knew. My brother, I did some horrible things to my brother. Like, if Jesus is without sin, his mom and his brothers would have known about it. If he had sin, his mom and his brothers would have known about it, right? And for them, uh, devout Jewish folks, like there is no sin in God. God does not sin. And after the resurrection, 
they proclaim, my Lord, my God, my Savior. His own mom, his own family, the people who would have known him best. And lastly, enemies of Jesus give eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. And this is Paul. Paul is a guy who had everything against the Christian movement. He went as far as overseeing the execution of Christians as this thing was starting to pick up steam. And then Jesus meets him in the road, knocks him off his horse, and says, why are you persecuting me? And an enemy of Jesus becomes a pastor to the people of, he, uh, of whom he was murdering just days prior. And his life is totally changed. And so not just his friends, this isn't just something that they conjured up, but his enemies as well. The disciples all saw him and worshipped him as God. These, again, are Orthodox Jews who, to worship something other than God as God means hell, right? It's not good for you. It doesn't go well. And these are all Orthodox Jews who start worshipping Jesus as God. Furthermore, if they were to do this, if they were to conjure this up, they were all murdered for spreading this story. They were all murdered for spreading this story. And do you not think one of them would recant if they made this up? None of them did. And they were all murdered for telling this story. Uh, more evidence uh, can be seen when Christians start meeting on Sunday, right? So literally, uh, the first Christians were, were, uh, were Jews, and a commandment of theirs is to... Uh, worship on Saturday, right? Because that's their Sabbath. And they start breaking a commandment and worship on Sunday, the day of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Christians start taking communion. So we, we're going to do that later. We're going to celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and this is, the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. And the tomb of Jesus was not enshrined. So this is what we normally do with famous religious figures, and you can see it all over the world. You can go and see Abraham's tomb. It's like, it's incredible. It's a real thing, and it's huge and massive and beautiful, and you can go see it. It's a real place. Jesus' tomb was not enshrined because he's not there. You could literally go see him in person. You did not have to go to his tomb or, or shrine to be close to him. And today, billions of people around the world worship him as God. And so let's have that just kind of set the, the tone for us as we come into death, that as, as Christians, um, that just gives us a floor to stand on when it comes to the resurrection. Like, we're not making this stuff up. And, uh, and so from a couple weeks ago, uh, let's just remember that this is what Paul says about the resurrection. That if it's false, okay, death has not been defeated. Christianity is useless and of no hope. Right? Like, what do we, like, what are we talking about? Like, why do we waste our time? Like, I've literally spent five years of my life planting and starting and, and growing and praying for and, and cultivating and uh, teaching people how to lead and, and releasing people into their calling that, that God has in their life. Um, 
it, what, what is the point of all that? Why do I waste my time and emotion and energy doing that if it's just not true, right? Like, shouldn't we do something else? Like, he literally says, well, we might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die, and that's it, that's the end, right? That's the end of it. So let's just get drunk, and let's eat all the great food, and, you know, there's probably some naked people to hang out with. Right? Look, let's just do that instead. Because if it's not true, we're just wasting our time. There's no hope for us beyond the grave. And if Jesus can't defeat death, God become a man without sin. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, there's no hope beyond the grave. That's the end. None of us are going to move beyond that. There's just no hope. There is no forgiveness of sin. That forever we're stuck in this place where sin has stained us. That we can't be free from the hurts that have been caused to us. We can't be uh, we can't be released from the burden of having harmed other people. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no reconciliation with God. That forever we'll be separated from God because that's the way we want it. That's just the way we want it. We don't want God. We just want to be separated from Him. And there's no forgiveness of sin. And lastly, he says, you've believed in vain. You've believed in vain. We're to be pitied most amongst all men. That Christians, we're idiots if it's not true. That's what we are. But if it is true... This is what he also said. Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. If he was, that means Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still alive. And he's not some token that we put in our pocket or, or he, he doesn't live in our hearts, right? The Spirit, yes, our, our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is alive, ruling and reigning over all creation at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, interceding for us, That's cool. For those of us who are in him, you, like Jesus, can also be raised from the dead in a newly perfected body. Like, this world is broken, and your body is a constant reminder that that's just true, right? I, uh... <laughs> um, so I've always had like a good metabolism and I've always been like kind of a lanky dude, right? And so people are always like, oh, you know, that's so great, you know? But it ends, it ends at 20, right? It just does. Like your body just goes downhill from 20 and I'm 15 at the time, right? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just have fun until 20 and, you know, I won't worry about things and, you know, I'll work out then and I'll, I'll worry about cholesterol then and, you know, at, at 15, like 20, I'm an adult, right? Which I was not an adult at 20. Uh, but that's what I believe, so I'll just wait till 20, and then I'll start worrying about adult things, right? And then when I hit 20, and it kind of didn't happen, you know, body was still good, metabolism still high, like still active and physically fit and all that kind of stuff. And, and so everybody who, who then was older than me, they were all 25. And well, don't worry, it, it, it sets in at 25. Like, at 25, it's all over. It's all going downhill. Your body's just going to start to give up. It just will. And, uh, and that's when it happened for me, and that's when it's going to happen for you. And so I looked forward to 25, and I enjoyed those five years, and then I hit 25, and I said, well, you know, metabolism's still pretty all right. Things are still good. I can still move. Nothing hurts all the time. Like, it's just great. And, uh, and so then all those, you know, all those people are saying, well, 
30's the age, right? The dirty 30, you definitely have reached the peak of the mountain at 30, and then it goes downhill from it, and it's all over from there, right? And, uh, and then I hit 30, and, uh, and I was like, well, you know what? I still actually, I still feel all right, you know? It's going good, and uh, let's just keep trucking, you know? These guys just don't, I don't know what they're doing, right? Maybe they just live super different from me, I don't know, or just you know, their body's just different or whatever, and that's fine, and everything happens in its own timing. Uh, and then I hit 31 this year, <laughs> and now it's going downhill. <laughs> and so I'm here to tell you today that your body is broken, and if you haven't hit 31 yet, enjoy it until 31, because it's all going downhill from there, and uh, your body will break, and it's just, it's just the truth. <laughs> and it all points to the fact that we need a newly resurrected body because there is no way that we can spend eternity in this thing, right? There's just no way. And there are only a couple gray-haired folks in here, and they can tell you there's no way they're spending eternity in that thing, right? <laughs> but don't worry, there's hope for you. There's hope for all of us because if Jesus was raised from the dead, so too, if we believe in him, we can be raised from the dead and there will be no more pain. This is Revelation 21. No more pain, no more sickness. Jesus wipes every tear from our eyes. Sin no longer infects our reality that we can live a new life, okay? And if it's true, then we really are born sons of Adam, okay? We covered this last week. We really are born sons of Adam. That Adam, his choice was to turn away from God in total freedom, that a loving God gave him, God said, here's, here's the whole garden, right? He said, but surely if you eat of that fruit, you will die. And he knows, right? I mean, it's God telling him, right? God, the one who just, in the, ch the chapter before, <laughs> come on, Adam, come on, Adam, uh, in the chapter before, made everything out of nothing and said it was all good. And he, and he, and he did it just by speaking it. And then when he made Adam, he knelt down into the dirt and got his hands dirty and formed him in such an intimate way, right? And then he breathed his life into him. He didn't just speak. He didn't just say it to happen, right? Like he did with the rest of creation and animals and all that stuff. He breathed life. He breathed his spirit into him. And that's what brought him to life, right? And so Adam says, well, you know what? God who made everything and, you know, gave me abundant freedom and this whole garden, uh, but also you love me and you don't want me to be a robot who just is forced to worship you because you make robots who you force to worship you because you're strange and whatever you call that. Um, sadistic? I don't know, something like that, right? Uh, you, gave me, you gave me choice, right? And I'm going to choose to eat the fruit now because I actually don't believe you that I'm going to die, right? I think that this is actually better for me. And we, we do that, right? We do that. We really are sons of Adam, that that's the story of our life. And if it's true, though, we really can be born again in Christ, we can be born again in Christ. That if we're born to be sons of Adam, we can be born again into the second Adam, which is Jesus. That's what we covered last week. And that changes everything. Because this, this is the biblical story, right? This is the, 
30 seconds, uh, I'll probably take a minute to tell it, but version of, the whole, of this whole book, okay? Right? So God makes everything, calls it good, and then he makes man, he calls it good. Man turns from God, is eternally separated from God because God loves him. He doesn't want to spend eternity in, uh, in, in separation from him. So he puts into action his rescue plan, which has always been the plan from the beginning to uh, relieve them from this state of sin. And, and, uh, and, and so he removes them from the garden uh, because he loves them and he shows grace to them. He says, if, if you are in this state and you eat of the tree of everlasting life, you're going to spend forever separated from me. And that's horrible. That's, hor- that's terrible. And so we say, God, why are you such a horrible person? Because you took us out of the garden and you're going to let us die. And no, but he actually loves us because he doesn't want us, us to spend eternity like that. So he puts into action his rescue plan and he says it right when it happens. Genesis 3.15, there will be a man born of a woman. And he will do battle with the serpent. And though, even though the serpent will harm his heel, that the man will crush the head of the serpent. The gospel is preached right away. Like, what is that story? We just have to look at that story and say, well, that's Jesus, right? And so uh, at that point, they're not re- they don't know it's Jesus because Jesus hasn't come yet, but they're looking for this person. And so this person is always the person that they're looking for. So they, they come to Cain and Abel. Is this the man born of a woman? I mean, we only have one woman. It's Eve. And, you know, now we have two dudes. So it's got to be one of these two guys, right? And, and it's not because, you know, the the one brother kills the other brother. I'm like, shoot, all right, okay, that's not the guy. And then you're looking for the guy. You're just always looking, right? So Abraham, is this the guy, right? You know, the stout, the just, this, just stalwart in faith Abraham, right? Righteous. Um, God, God gives him all this, this ble- you'll be a blessing to the nations. I will make, I will make your, your nation like more numerous than the stars, right? And we're like, wow, that's got to be the dude. That's going to be the guy who's going to crush the head of, of Satan. What does he do? He sleeps with his servant girl because he doesn't trust God to, to open up the womb of his wife to give uh, them children, even though God promised he would do it. And so he circumvents God's plan and says, hey, slave girl, let's make this happen, baby. And then he has a son. And God's like, ah, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I have a plan. I said I was going to carry it out, right? And so, oh, Abraham's not the guy. So we go on to the next, right? And next, and next, and next, and next, and next. And we're always looking for it. All these pages, we're looking for that guy, and we, we, we reach the story of Jesus, and we're saying, man, like, it's been so long, right? It's been, it's been thousands of years, and we've reached the story of Jesus, and the people have given up hope over and over and over, and God continually says, He's coming, right? The book of Isaiah is all about that. It's written 700 years before Jesus came, and it's so explicit in its detail of Jesus' life, right? He will be be pierced for our transgressions. Like, how is that not Jesus? Who is is he talking about if it's not Jesus? It's so explicit. And so Jesus comes. We're like, is it the guy? We don't know yet. We're not sure, right? He's still a baby. (laughs) That's what Christmas is all about, right? Jesus is a baby, and is it the guy? I don't know. But a bunch of people seem to think he is. And there's some angels showing up and saying it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. Right? It's been so long. Maybe we're losing hope and maybe it's not the guy again. And so it's easy to doubt. But Jesus lives without sin. We murder him on the cross. And in that, God providentially takes his perfect life, gives it to us, takes our sinful, stained life, gives it to Jesus deals with it on the cross and says, here's a new life for you. 
a life where you don't have to be selfish, you don't have to be self-righteous, you don't have to be prideful, you don't have to be arrogant, you don't have to steal, you don't have to cheat on your spouse, you don't have to be apathetic towards your spouse, you don't have, right? You can have real life the way I always intended you to have it. And in the end, I'm going to recreate all that is broken and I'm going to release you into freedom and joy. That's the biblical story. I probably took five or ten minutes now <laughs> on that. Well, it was supposed to be one minute. But anyways, it's just so beautiful. And so that's the place that we find ourselves in. And we really can be born again into the second Adam, who's Jesus. And lastly, I already hit this when I told the story. We get to live forever with Jesus in his kingdom. Right? Revelation 21 again. Wipes the tears from our eyes. No more sin, sickness, death, sorrow. No more. That's the biblical story. Forever reconciled to God in Christ. But here's the truth. Some aren't. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. You say, oh, no, Jesus is just a good moral teacher, la, la, la. You know, he's just a nice guy, and, you know, we can follow some of the things he said. And what about, what about when he said he was God? And what about when he said not everyone trusts in God? And, yeah, some people... They're going to be in the place where it's just weeping and gnashing of teeth because they want to be there. I came to be with you, to give you into everlasting joy, and you just didn't want it. And there's something real we have to face in that. Um, and this... Most of you guys know what my life has been like the last... A few months, um, my mom passed away this summer unexpectedly, tragically. Um, we don't need this anymore. Can I borrow this tool? Is that okay? I don't normally do this. We normally don't do this, but I'm just going to do this. Because who's going to stop me? <laughs> Beautiful because this is going to be hard for me. I've counted it. I've already cried six times this morning. Yeah, so I'm just going to sit down. Um, life, life for me was, uh, it was fine. I kind of grew up in an upper middle class white family. You know, we kind of had all the things, right? So I said the N64 and I went to the nice high school and, you know, when every year around Christmas is, you know, here, go to Yorkdale, buy whatever clothes you want, and I always pick the dumbest clothes. <laughs> like, just the, anyways, but you know, like, like we weren't really lacking, um, <clears throat> but we never, we never examined purpose. We never examined why. We never dealt with the hard things, right? And I watched, I watched my mom deal with a lot of pain relationally. I mean, her father passed away and she had no way of dealing with that and it just destroyed her. Um, there was always tension in our family, so much so that at 17 years old, I, I left home with basically nothing, about $200 in the bank account and, and forged a new life with a, with a buddy of mine. We were best friends in high school and somehow we got an apartment. I don't know why they gave it to us because <laughs> we didn't have jobs and we didn't have money. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just so frustrated with my parents. I didn't talk to them for about five years. Um, and, and so that 
that just was where it was. They were, they were pretty absent at certain stages. They were super frustrated with me as a teenager. I was super frustrated with them as a teenager. It was both our fault, right? I didn't know, I didn't know how, to, how to be a real person. I didn't know how to be honest. I didn't know how to be kind. I didn't know how to express love or patience towards them. And so it just, it just turned into to bitterness. And I withdrew emotionally because my mother was the type of lady who took up all the emotional space in the house. Right? And I just always felt like there was never room for any of us to, to express ourselves or to explore those things and, um, and to, have n to have no foundation to stand on other than, well, better just keep going to class. Better just keep doing soccer. Right? Like that's, that's all we had, right? was our calendar and our schedule. And so we just did that. Um, and so, yeah, 17, left home and started forging you know, this new independent life separate from my parents. And um, uh, five years later, we kind of tried to reconcile and it never, we never fully reconciled, right? I still, just being honest with you guys, still felt like I was walking on eggshells around her. Um, not wanting to, to set her off because there were always kind of these emotional buttons you could push by accident that would just cause explosions. Um, and so, uh, we tried to reconcile and, and it started to go well and you know I rebuilt my relationship with my dad which uh, to, to a certain degree uh, which is really refreshing for me and at that at the similar point in life right 17 is what 22 23 when all this started happening met a girl in college who brought me to uh, church for the first time and so I'm I'm hearing about forgiveness and reconciliation uh, with God on one hand and I'm kind of experiencing it on, on another hand with me and my parents and um, and uh, <clears throat> um, so then, you know, things start to go all right, and, but it was always still a little bit of a grind, right? Always walking on eggshells, always when the situations came up, it was like, oh, so frustrating. God, how do I love her? How do I see my parents in a new way? I want to show them your love. I want to be generous. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be gentle, but it's just so frustrating all the time. Why is it so hard? Like, if you're so big, and if you're so powerful, and if you're so good, can't you just invade this place and change this? Like, you did that for me. You totally changed my heart and everything. Why can't, why doesn't it, why hasn't it happened yet for my parents? <clears throat> and so, even around our wedding, you know, there's constant, I mean, it, yeah, we always kind of say, yeah, it always happens with the in-laws, right? Um, the, the, you know, the mother and like, the monster-in-law, right? The mother-in-law, right? We always kind of have these things as a culture. Um, and so, yeah, all that stuff happened. But because of the foundation that it was all built on, it just, it was so, for something that was so meaningful for us, right? Like, oh, God, we're, we're covenanting before you to show your oneness and your love, the community that you have, the perfect oneness and affection and and communication and devotion inside of, of, of yourself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and perfect communion for all of eternity, we are coming before you and saying we want that. We want that for the people around us. We want to be able to show the picture of the gospel, right, that, that Jesus is the bridegroom of the church, and he loves his bride so much. This is the bedrock of our marriage. He loves his bride so much that he died for her. That's a picture of the gospel. And why, why still, why still does it have to be so frustrating? 
why does this have to be about them? We just want this to be about you. We don't even want it to be about us to the best way that we know how. And so time kept going on and the relationship is still still tough and and my parents had this dream to uh, to buy a boat and sail around the world and some of you guys kind of know and so it took a few years to get it all sorted out right to actually learn how to sail uh, because they hadn't and like my mom didn't even like getting her hair wet you know like (laughs) it's just like not a water person Um, and and so they, they dealt with all that, learned, you know, space, like, uh, uh, what do you call it, celestial navigation, like, they got all into it, right? And they got this cool 41-foot boat, and, like, this was their dream, right? We always kind of say flippantly in culture, like, just follow your dream. It's going to be amazing as long as you do what you love to do. Like, it's just going to work out. It's going to be the best, and, um, and you should just do that. Oh, you are so adventurous, and you are so amazing. Just do that. That is so, that is so inspirational. It's awesome. Right? And so this is all coming out. Some people are like, oh, you're crazy. You know, that's like super dangerous and that's crazy. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, great for you. You know, it's whatever works for you. So just go ahead and do it. Um, and, uh, um, and I've watched them. Like this, this, when this dream started to come alive, this is when we really were just like, oh, God, this is your chance. This, they're going to they're gonna sail out onto the sunset and see the sunset every day that you have made. They're going to look out onto the horizon and the beauty of the ocean. And God, would you just open their eyes? God, my parents have been living in bitterness for so long. They, we don't get along. They don't get along with the neighbors. They hate their job. My dad has been faithfully grinding away for so long uh, that he's... That, and it just it tore, took a, him away from our childhood. And God, now's the time that you get to break in and do something amazing. And if culture is really right, which they're not, which it's, it's not, by the way, this narrative, this story is totally absurd. Um, if, if they're right, then, you know, they'll find happiness or whatever is the best thing for them. Um, but we, we were praying, God, make this the time. Make this the time where you release them for bitterness into joy. Make this the time that the shackles that have been holding my parents down for so long would release and they could experience real life. This is the time. Until it wasn't the time. And they tried to cross the Atlantic Ocean and they got, my mom got tossed in in a crazy storm and my dad couldn't save her despite his best ability and for the last three months, we've been dealing with a grieving father. We've been carrying the weight of our family and, and, and showing, trying to show them the love of Jesus in a time where we're now missing a mom. Like, my brother is devastated. We're missing a wife. My dad is devastated. We're missing a friend. We're missing <coughs> a child. Her mom's still around. And, and so we've been, we've been carrying them towards joy and Jesus and new life. It's been really hard. And it didn't, to my knowledge, it didn't happen. 
right? Our prayers didn't seem to be answered. And so what do we, what do, we do with that, right? So as Christians, if a Christian dies, we're kind of like, well, you know, they kind of, they get to be with Jesus forever in perfect joy and, and eternity with him. And that's amazing. And we can, like, we, we really, there's, I'm not, I don't want to make light of this. Um, there's real pain and there's real hurt and with a real loss of the presence of the people that we care about. Um, but as Christians, right, Paul says in First Thessalonians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope, right? We have hope. And we can hope in these situations. But what do, what do we do? What do we do when we feel like we have so much hope for other people? And those prayers aren't answered. What do we do when we confront death as believers for our non-believing friends and family? Because we're all going to die. And we need to talk about it. And we need to figure it out. And we can't just be satisfied with the wrapping paper. We can't just be satisfied pulling out the tissue paper or playing with that. And we need to go all in on this because it really means something. And so for us, we see people die and we can really weep like Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Two, two words. <laughs> see, if you want to be a memorizer of scripture, start with that one. <laughs> right? And he weeps because Lazarus, his friend, his dear friend, dies. But Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead immediately after, and he still weeps. And so we can still weep. Like death, death is a constant reminder that the world is still broken. Sin is still waging war. And people who are physically alive may be dead spiritually. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's more important? What do, we, what do we care most about? That we lost a person temporarily? That they died physically? Or do we as a church have a deep care and concern that when people die physically, there's a spiritual reality behind it, spiritual aliveness and spiritual deadness that determines our eternal reality. I don't have answers other than, I don't have answers on how to deal with it. I don't have answers I still feel like I don't have answers about the whole situation. <laughs> Intellectually and theologically, I know where I stand and that, that is what keeps me grounded. That's what keeps me serving. That's what keeps me loving. That's what keeps me uh, present in my family. That's what keeps me going. That's what continues to give me joy during what has been 
honestly one of the most difficult times in my entire life. Um, just with what we've been carrying and being new parents and, and, and running a small business and like just all of life happening at the same time. Um, and being a pastor at a church, a new church, where there's still way too much to do than we have, feel like we have people to do it. Um, I, don't have an, I don't have answers for all that other than I know who God is. Is my mom in heaven? I don't know. Physically with my eyes, I never saw trust in Jesus. I never saw fruit of the spirit. I never saw uh, reconciliation of relationship, all the things that we want to see from Christians, right? And if we, generally, if we see Christians who aren't showing those things, then you know they just call themselves a Christian, but they don't show those things. They're probably not a Christian, right? So we never saw fruit of the spirit in our life. We never saw these things with our eyes. So all of that says, points to me like maybe not, right? Theologically, if I really believe that some people are going to hell, I don't know. Thankfully, it's not up to me. This is what I do know. It's not up to me. It's up to a God who loves. It's up to a God who saves. It's up to a God who created each and every single one of us and wants so much more that even, even in my most selfless position towards my parents, God still loves them and wants more for them than I did and do. Like, that's the character of who God is. That's the character that God has displayed to us from the beginning until now. And that can carry us into forever. That's all I know. That's the only answer I have. And today we're going to celebrate a death. We're going to celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And so, for you, if you have a real pain and a real hurt and a real loss from someone who has died, or maybe you experience so much pain in this life that you would even want death on yourself. That you would just want it to be over. Or maybe you or someone you know is so close to the edge physically this is a place where we can walk into that knowing that in Christ there's peace and comfort and joy. And we are going to celebrate a death because it did not end in the grave. I don't even think I brought up the passage. I totally meant to. But here, this is what it says. Uh, I'll skip the part about... Um, the perishable and the imperishable. Basically what he's saying is that what I said earlier, right? There's, uh, actually we can probably just put it on, can we just put the verse on the screen real quick? Is that right? No? Oh yeah, I took it out. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry, that's my fault. <laughs> uh, he, he talks about the, the perishable can't, uh, can't inherit, um, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor what is perishable inherit the imperishable. 
right? But he says there's some mystery, that at the end when Jesus comes, there's a spiritual reality that in him we can live forever, that our bodies will put on what is imperishable, take on immortality, and then, and this can be our battle cry, church. Are you ready for this? Death is swallowed up in victory. He's quoting the, the Old Testament scriptures here. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We can, we can stand in the face of death and almost mock death. You lost. You lost. God was bigger than you. We have victory now because Jesus rose from the dead, and we can know that as a historical, incontrovertible fact. This isn't just mysticism. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is, in, is the law. It's to say, like, God gave us all these great commandments, and no matter how hard we tried, we just we couldn't obey him because we didn't want to. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great gift, right? This is a beautiful way he says that. God gives that. It's not about how much you pray. It's not about how much you read the Bible. It's not about how many times you take communion or how many Sundays you show up for. That any moment, any moment when you cry out and say, God, just give me the gift. As we celebrate death, maybe this is the time you do that for the first time in your life. You really ask God, God, help me to die to myself, trust in your death and resurrection so that I can really have life. Maybe this is the time for you, that God gives you that gift. And he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, thank you for abounding in the work of the Lord. Thank you for being steadfast in our time of need. There has been no other group of people who has ministered to us and cared for us like you guys have. Because you don't just give us platitudes, you give us prayers. You don't give us false hope in something that may or may not. You give us real tangible hope in something that will and will always be. So thank you for being that and continue to do that. This is a call. That's our battle cry. We are going to war as a church to bring that to the city, to bring the hope and victory of Jesus to the ones we love. It's the whole reason we started this church. It's the whole reason we've been doing it for five years, and it's the whole reason we will continue to do that for the rest of our lives. That's our commitment to you as pastors of this church. So let's celebrate. I've talked way too long. Let's celebrate as a church in song. Let's celebrate by giving like our Lord and Savior did. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.